So Money, episode 1198, fashion icon and author Norma Kamali. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Each decade has transformative aspects to it, but 50 is like shedding your skin, like a snake sheds its skin. And all of the responsibilities and nurturing and taking care of others and all of that really comes to a point where you can either feel emptiness or alone, or maybe you've been aged out of your job, aged out of your marriage, and your kids are gone and all of that. And you can, oh my God, now what? Or you could look at it as like, oh yeah, now it's about me. Welcome to So Money, everybody. We are in conversation with fashion icon and author of the new book, I Am Invincible, Norma Kamali. Norma has been in the industry for over 50 years. She opened her first shop in 1967. From then on, she went to make her mark in the fashion industry with iconic designs, including the sleeping bag coat, high-heeled sneakers, casual sportswear. Maybe we have Norma to thank for this athleisure trend and her infamous swimwear line endorsed by celebrities all over the world. Today, Norma is in her 70s. And in the last decade, she's launched a podcast, started a radio show, released a skin line, and most recently, her book, I Am Invincible, a mantra for women taking them through every decade of their journey and guiding them into how to live their best, healthiest, and most fulfilling life. Here's Norma Kamali. Norma Kamali, welcome to So Money. It's such an honor. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Oh my gosh. Where do we even begin your timeline? Uh, you have been in this industry for 50 years. I believe you received the Lifetime Achievement Award five years ago by CFDA, which, you know, for some uh, designers, this may have signaled their time to just rest on their laurels, but not you. Since then, you've established a podcast, a radio show, a skin line, a, a campaign, Aging with Power, and now your book, I Am Invincible. So let's talk about that. Tell us why you felt compelled to take on yet another project and do this book. Well, I, you know, the... A big topic in the book is aging with power. And I think the idea of aging often presents the concept of slowing down, retiring, sort of ending. And I just can't get wrap my head around that. And I feel very inspired now. And I and the reason is for one. Big disruptions inspire me because it's the opportunity for real change and innovation. And we have been in a disruptive period for quite some time. And then you throw a pandemic in and it's sort of like an explosive opportunity for real significant change because nothing will be the same. So for me, I'm... I'm sort of 
enlightening and in, 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 in enjoying and in, in wrapping myself around the moment. And I don't see retirement or endings. I really look at the long game and I, you know, interview a lot of scientists on aging and doctors on aging and hormones. And one one of them said to me, you know, at 120, at 120, the cells stop turning over. And I said, oh, that's good to know. So I would like to live to 120. I mean, why not? And and I thought, you know, I'm not going to put my genetic composition makeup into this. I'm going to leave it out. And I'm just going to look at the long game and plan ahead, but also work hard at trying to be aware of healthy lifestyle as an important factor in keeping my body and everything sort of working. So that's my approach. And I feel like it's important to talk about that more so that people don't sort of accept the fact that they should become invisible and sort of fade out or age with grace. Age with grace, no, 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 no. Age with power. That's not your mantra. Aging with grace, like Mm -hmm. why? Why would you do that at a time when you're smarter than ever, you're more capable, you're not insecure about being vulnerable because you don't know stuff? I mean, seriously, it's a good time. You bring up genetics and there's, um, I believe in your book or in the press release, the irony being that your mother said on your 18th birthday, happy birthday, it's all downhill from here. So a contrast to perhaps what we tell our daughters today, what did your mom mean by that? And by the way, this was probably now, that was in the, uh, what's what what, what decade born, was that when you I were 18? I was born in um, 45, so it was probably 52 or 3, something like that. So uh, 1953, we're talking, you know, a very different time. But my mother was very progressive. She was very ahead of, of everything. And I think the point she was trying to make is I, the, I had such a fear, as do many... 19-year-olds or 20-year-olds, that I now I was going to start getting old because once you're once you're past your teens, the aging process begins. And I find that many 20-year-olds agree with that, that they really believe this is the beginning of the aging process. And I thought, I don't want to be old like my mother. I don't want, you know, and my mother was not you know, she was a very active woman all the time. So it wasn't that she was representing something that was bad. But I guess the idea of living forever and not being affected by anything is a very youthful concept. And so that was her like word of advice, which was she was really being mean, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> she was just being mean, let's be honest. Mean. Well, you know, Norma, your take on life is 
extraordinary, but contrarian, even in today's modern world. So all the time back then, you know, I'm imagining you adopting this mindset. At what point did you adopt this mindset? Because I'm imagining even back then it was quite revolutionary to sort of look at life as almost like you're aging in reverse as you get older, you know, that that sort of mindset of like taking advantage of every year, building upon it, not not aging with grace, but, you know, really being bold in every single year of your life. I think what happens is that you go through each decade and each decade is sort of an initiation, right? So your 20s are, this is, this is the big experiment. Here you are, an adult, but knowing nothing and being very vulnerable and um, making a lot of mistakes, some of them where you can slip slip off a cliff. That's how, you know, risky you can get with experimentation. And a lot of pain and and, uh, bumps and bruises can come out of it. And there's a lot you can learn from that. But there's a lot that stays with you because it can be a rough a rough decade but once you get through the decade my my favorite is when people say would you want to be in your 20s again it's like shoot me are you kidding why would I ever want to go through that again and so that's an example of how each decade represents another initiation another level of growth and evolution so the idea of aging to me represents positive growth and more power, more information. And I really recognize that through my work and being a woman um, in a business that, you know, was, it meant I had to take care of everything and I had to learn everything. And I was so grateful for some of the bad experiences that made me much better and smarter. And I realized that that process of going through all of that really um, was so incredibly helpful. And that's why I say today, I, I've learned all of these things through the decades and I, I've become a believer of that aging with power concept through the years. But when I turned 50, quite frankly, I realized that 50 wasn't the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of a new beginning. And 50 is extraordinary. It is, it's just a, a, a very, very... Would you say that's your favorite decade? I mean, no. maybe now is your favorite yeah, decade, but, but was that the most transformative in some well, ways? Well, I think 30 is transformative, but I also think 50, um, each decade has transformative aspects to it. But 50 is like shedding your skin, like a snake sheds its skin. And all of the responsibilities and nurturing and taking care of others and all of that really comes to a point where you can either feel emptiness or alone, or maybe you've been aged out of your job, aged out of your marriage and your kids are gone and all of that. And you can, oh my God, now what? Or you could look at it as like, oh yeah, now it's about me. Now I'm going to, I'm going to live my dream. I'm going to, I'm going to really take every opportunity, my life experience, 
my dream, focus it and make something happen. And I really believe the way you go through 50, 50 to 55 is very, really, really, really important. And when you go through that period and you have a vision for yourself, the rest of your life is is approached through positive, proactive endeavors where you can live a dream, you can make things happen, you can work at doing things that you've always thought you might want to do, or maybe new things that you never thought would be of interest. And at 50, there's even a transformation in your physical self, your mental self. And that's why it's very important as you go into your 40s to look at your lifestyle, how you're taking care of yourself, what you're doing, because that's a very important part of this next part of your life, what you're doing for yourself. And sometimes it's like, I'm not, I, I stopped putting makeup on. I stopped doing things that I thought I would always do for the rest of my life. And I realized some things you don't need, they're not going to help you. And other things become more interesting and more important, like daily exercise and mm-hmm. having... By the way, I spotted you at Physique 57 once and you're stunning. And I just wanted to tell you that I was too shy to go up to you. And also like, I always feel weird about approaching, you know, people I, I had, I've admired from a distance in person because you're, you know, you're, you were there obviously to work out, not to, you know, <laughs> hang out with me. But I just wanted to tell you that because you are goals for me and I'm 41. Um, so I'm always inspired by your work. And I want to talk about your work, Norma, because there's so much to be discussed from, and my audience really is interested in pursuing a passion, mm-hmm. turning that into a business. Was fashion always your interest? I mean, you got your start at age 20, 21. So my thinking is that, you know, you were one of the lucky ones that got to sort of pursue a passion and recognize that early on. Well, you know, these things happen at different points in your life. And for me, I, I really wanted to be a painter. I, my room in my childhood room was covered with Michelangelo anything uh, Rudolf Nureyev photograph uh, pictures and uh, anything that had that feel was my dream. I wanted to, I, I took anatomy classes, drawing classes very young. I was very interested in understanding the human form and how this, the, you know, muscles wrapped around the bones and the skin wrapped over the muscles. And, and so for me, there was no question that's where I wanted to go. But my mother, in her practical sense, even though she was a very creative person and painted and did everything, she said, so here's the deal. Either you help me pay the rent or you find your own apartment to pay the rent, but somehow you're going to have to get a job that helps you do that. And I don't think being a painter is really going to do that right now. And I knew that I had to get a scholarship because she was a single mom and clearly could not afford 
to uh, send me to college. And so I was lucky and I got some painting grants and scholarships and I got a scholarship to FIT and I studied fashion illustration. But as fate would have it, I had a really bad first job interview in fashion, a really awful situation. And I remember running out of the office uh, after being objectified by a man who was sitting at his desk with his feet up eating a tuna sandwich. And he was just so rude and so, you know, and I'm young. It's so cliche. Cliche, but so, so the, the thing is, he is my hero because he pushed me out of that place where I would have just become this person in a big office with an environment that said, this is a road that doesn't really lead to a lot of places because fashion illustration was going out. And he pushed me out literally. And I never told my mother, I just said, I didn't get the job. And I ended up wanting to travel. And at the time, air travel was just really beginning to be the thing. And I, for some reason, I don't know how I got the job because I had no office skills. I got a job at Northwest Airlines in the office working on a Univac computer, which was the airlines were the first airlines and schools were the first places that there were actually computers. So very early on, I understood the ability of this kind of technology, and I was very comfortable with it. I was fascinated by it. I loved it. And I traveled to London round trip every week for four years for $29 round trip. And I landed in London just a block away from where all of this was just beginning to happen. London was totally gray, gray tweed, gray buildings, grainy gray, and pop of color here and there. And every week that I came back, the color built, built, built to the point where it was all color. And that 60s revolution was just so impactful, things you'd never seen before in history. And I started bringing back the clothes and opened a little store and started to sell them. And that's how I found my way into the industry. I love this story because it, you know, it it was unconventional. You you had a, a rooted desire in fashion, in art, but what happened next wasn't that it was travel it was your you know introduction to technology and all of that mm-hmm. and i think what i'm hearing too is just inspiration confidence all of that was becoming was it getting layered and layered mm-hmm. and layered and then you sort of got to the where you were uh in opening the store what what do you think was your or what do you what do you believe your contribution to fashion was at that time in the 60s, you know, it was very much either that pop arty twiggy style from from the UK, or it was the Jackie Onassis sort of elegant Mm. look, um, or it was the hippie style. Where did you sort of want to make a brand established? What was your splash? So when I was at FIT, the Mad Men style, which you kindly used Jackie as an example of. And she was way 
in another stratosphere, but the Mad Men look, literally the girls that went to FIT dressed that way with hats, gloves, matching handbags. I so could not get into that. I tried, but I just felt like, this is not me. I don't know. I'm just not feeling this. And, um, and I would make my own things and buy, you know, uh, sort of deconstruct dresses and reconstruct them. I really didn't fit into that. But when I went to London, because I truly, um, truly, truly represent the baby boomer personality, right? My, the, the experimentation, the revolution, everything new and, and innovative. So that for me was definitely going to be a very big part of how I was going to kind of move forward with my, my designs. And I loved um, every minute of it. And, and that, initiation is where I could say I identified who I was as a designer and that identity is still exactly the same today. I, I'm more of an innovator um, and inventor than I am a typical designer. I like Mm -hmm. ideas and concepts. So I know that, and that's a really important thing when you want to have a business, you have to understand what your unique quality is so that you make sure that you're being true to it and not going off in some other direction because there's a trend for, you know, flowery dresses and like everybody's doing it, you got to do it. Well, no, that's not what I do, but I, I can be relevant in the world that I'm comfortable in. And that that's a really big, uh, important factor. How did you research back then? You know, now we have, for better or worse, the internet to sort of track trends and data points and all of that. Everything you can, you can data drive your next fashion invention. But in the 60s, how did you tap into, for example, knowing that your swimwear was going to be such a big hit, the sleeping bag coat and celebrities wanting your fashions how did you harness that instinct well the the best way to find out if something is working is to see whether it sells or not so having a store was critical for me always has been uh up until recently or in the last 10 15 years where i've been a big fan of e-commerce because i can deal directly with my consumer i can hear what she wants I can respond to her immediately. But prior to that, having your own store is a great way to see if something's selling, then you did something right. If you think something is fantastic, if you want to do a dress with six sleeves, we'll do it, maybe do four of them. And if it sells, then okay, do more. But if it doesn't, especially if you're the owner and you're paying all the bills, but the designer wants to do a dress with six sleeves, you figure out how to find out how experimental you can be and the retail store will tell you right away. 
it will also tell you because people come in and they're very honest and and they're honest in the way they look in the clothes too. Maybe the fit of your clothes is not complementary to all of the people that are, you know, wanting to buy them. So you learn that as well. The retail store for me was my laboratory. And if things didn't sell, you know, I want to pay the rent. So I'm like, move on, Norma. That's, you know, not a good idea. But if something sold that was very experimental, I was able to, you know, monetize it and really look at how I could build that out. Also, by having, by owning my own company, I didn't have a committee telling me what I should design or what was the trend or how I should do things. I really, in the end, had to be responsible for my mistakes and for things that worked, but it didn't have to deal with a bunch of people who, with good intention, because that's always the truth, I don't think anybody sits in those meetings with a bad intention, but with good intention may not have the same inventive instincts I have and may not want to take a chance on something they'd never seen before. You started your company, you bootstrapped it, you've um, built the business without debt. How did you know that was the way? (laughs) Because so many don't do it that way. Was that a very conscious approach or were you just lucky? Well, I definitely, you know, as as a woman in business, I... I was in a unique situation and I didn't have examples. I didn't have people I could call upon to ask advice women. Um, And so what I had to figure out was how can I live a creative life and have a business and, and have and fund it in that way? How do I do that? And I just literally had to learn and try it and see what worked and what didn't, which again, my lab gave me that feedback. And by having a store, all kinds of people come in and from everywhere and you really get tons of information and you learn about you too. You learn about what it is they like about what you do and you learn and confirm what the unique quality is that you have. And I think by the time I was in my 40s, like you, you what happens is as you get into your 40s, your your the clarity of what your brand is is getting clearer and clearer. And that's when you monetize what your brand is. That's when you take who you are and what you do and what you have to offer and you look at it in the context of a business or an opportunity or putting a price on it in some way. And, and that's what happens in your 40s. That's, what, that's where you get in your 40s. And that's when I understood what I was capable of, um, the scope of what I was capable of, that I could be a global designer, that I could reach an, a big number of people around the world that I didn't have to be a cult designer in a little shop in New York um, and that I could do licensing. I had so many licenses and I was managing them all. And it was definitely, 
you know, sometimes crazy, but also a huge creative opportunity. And working with all these different countries really taught me that I was able to do that, that I enjoyed it and I was able to do it. And that I also was able in some fashion be pretty good at business, um, instinctively good at business. And because I was in the end, the designer who was responsible for making sure the company didn't go out of business, there was, there was a, a great sort of synergy between art and commerce that I've always had to deal with and I deal with every day. I design something and then an hour later, I'm looking at numbers. And I think more designers should be forced to do that. I think, you know, having money that comes from someplace else that's funding your designs is sort of like a sugar daddy syndrome. It's a, there's, there's not enough responsibility to the bottom line. And unless you have that responsibility to the bottom line, it's very hard in a creative mind to really make some hard decisions. I can edit my line faster and more harshly than my sales team can. They'll edit it and then I'll say, no, if you're editing that, then we should take this out and that and that. And they're like, whoa, wait. And I was like, no, what's the point? Let's do it now instead of going through more expense and thinking we're gonna make it and then don't. So I, I really, I recommend creative people um, have more uh, of a stake in the business part of it. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that is a book in and of itself, Norma. If you ever want to write that, uh, you can definitely come back on the mm-hmm. show and we can talk more about that because there's also a mindset. You get stuck, right? You think I'm an artist. I'm not a money's person. I'm not, I'm not a numbers person. And that is just a false a false totally. story, right? That we tell ourselves. And it's just the whole yeah. Yeah, it's like that starving artist. The, we glorify that. So you know, if you go, if you're raised with that, um, it's it's hard to see another way. It's the same with how how long did women think? You know, in in my world, women just didn't do business. Men were much better at business than women were, and that's and I said, okay, all right, I understand. And then it was like, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, and and nobody was an activist or militant or, you know, we just sort of anybody in my age group, you sort of see the opening and you slide through. Right. You don't like tear down the wall. It's like, oh, I'm going to go in here. This looks like a good little way to get get what I, I want to do and what I need to do. So being a woman and uh, being creative has been this little this little thing I've had to carry around because many times people, and I'm not going to just say men, but I'm just going to say people have spoken to me in a diminutive way. Like, oh, she's so sweet. She does. She's a designer and she's a woman. And so I like stop talking to me like I'm a child, like you like lighten up here and and I've always been polite I've never been rude but I've had to slowly take control of the conversation 
And I found my techniques and I found ways of doing it where they didn't even realize that I just took over the conversation. And so you learn a lot in situations like that. So being a designer and a woman, that's a combo (laughs) that has, you know, offers a lot of uh, challenges, especially when people are talking about business and money and anything like that. It's like a quote I heard the other day pertaining to women, especially women of color. No one is going to just give you the power. You have to literally acquire the power. You have to seize it, take it. It's on you. My gosh, I don't want to take up more of your time. You've been so generous spending part of your day with us. Norma Kamali, thank you so much. Your book, everyone, go grab it. It's called I Am Invincible. Hope to see you at Physique 57. Uh, I know. I hope they open up again. I hope they open up. Definitely. So nice to spend time with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much to Norma for joining me. Check out her book, I Am Invincible, available everywhere, and her website, normakamali.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money.